Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Again, I said this before, so I say again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in the building tonight. Also want to give a great shout out to all those who graduated from anything. Uh, congratulations. Shout out. All right. All right. Well, we're in a series. And uh, would you do this with me? Would you do this with me? Say this after me. I am a warrior. Say, say that one more time. I am a warrior. Turn to your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. Say, you are a warrior. Tell them one more time with emphasis. You are a warrior. There you go. <laughs> Pause after each word. <laughs> ah, and then let's all say, we are, we are warriors. One more time, we are, we are warriors. Earth is a battleground, and you've got to believe that. You've got to believe that. You've got to have at the center of your mind knowing that this is not a series to impress you with spiritual ideas. This is a, spirit, a series to make you spiritually aware and if you're not living spiritually aware, you're living spiritually naive, all right? The Bible tells us that we live in a world of good and evil, and I don't need to tell you that. You already know there's good and evil. You know that there is human, natural good, and you also know that there is human, natural evil. That I don't need to uh, give you insight about. But supernatural evil and supernatural good are real. There is a behind the scenes to this world, a spiritual dynamic covering what is behind everything happening in this world. When I was growing up, we would have people in our church, we called them the prayer warriors. You mean anybody that's a prayer warrior? Huh? Huh? A prayer warrior? Amen? Amen? Right? I had a woman... I had a woman, uh, I had a headache when I was a little kid. I had a headache. And uh, I was crying. I was, at, I was at like a revival service. And uh, the woman said, well, come to the back. She was one of the nurses. If you don't know about church nurses, then it's a whole, it's a whole other conversation. I can't explain it to you. But anyway, she was a nurse. And we went to the back, and she prayed over me. And uh, I, I said, you know, I have a headache. And I was asking for medicine. And she says, before we get medicine... Let me pray for you. And, I, you know, I'm, ro I'm literally rolling my eyes. I'm like 10 years old. I'm like, okay. And she's like, God, I just rebuke this. I rebuke this headache in the name of Jesus, right? The headache went away. Headache went right away. But I was, I was so weirded out by it that she was like, What's, how is your headache? I said, I still have it. And I didn't. I didn't, right? I didn't. And she said, you shouldn't have it. I was like, oh. Then she got the Tylenol, praise God. But although, although you've had prayer warriors in your life and you've had people who've prayed over you, prayer warrior is a false category. We're all in war. We're all called to pray. But here's the fact. We're not all operating on the front lines. 
You see, the front lines of a spiritual battle is someone who has decided that I am going to be a combat Christian, meaning that I want to extend the glory of God. I want to extend the kingdom of God. I want Jesus' name to be more known. That means I'm going to put myself out there, and when people associate with me, they're going to associate with Jesus. You, therefore, are going to be on the front lines of combat. But there are others who will live in the back seat of the war. They'll be more complacent. And for those, those will be people who have decided that there are lives that they will live spiritually in defeat. And so tonight, I want to continue to encourage you not to live a life of complacency, but rather to live in combat. And the way to live in combat is no matter how much failure you might have experienced in your life spiritually, you keep fighting. You don't stop fighting. And you allow Jesus to fight your battles. Amen? Now, this evil world that we speak of has a personal being, a personal evil behind it. That is the devil. He's called the accuser, and he's called all types of names, Lucifer and and, and all that. But one of the names that we talked about last week was in John 8.44. In John 8.44, Jesus is talking here, and Jesus says, when he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. All right? Now, so if I were to tell you about the Wright brothers, they are the father of the fathers of airplanes or... Henry Ford, who's known as the father of a car, not like they had a car and he was nursing the car, and not like he had a plane and he was nursing the plane. No, they invented these things, right? They are the person or the people that created these things. The devil is the creator of lies, right? Lying is his native tongue. Lying is his profession. And so, therefore, we have to understand, if he tells a lie, he tells good lies, effective lies, he is the father of lies. And, and uh, first and foremost uh, in that, when we talk about deception, the devil operates with deception, but he also operates with our cooperation, okay? So we have to remember his method is deception, and we must therefore agree. He works with agreement. We must agree with his deception. We must agree with his lie. And then we start operating in lies. We start operating in Deception. We talked last week that this, uh, the devil is the head of the demonic world. Some of you have experienced demons in ways that others in you in here will never experience. Some of you have been in dark areas, or um, you might just have a gift of discerning spirits, and you're just able to understand that world in ways that other people don't. Doesn't make you better. Doesn't make you less. But regardless of how much you acknowledge demonic presence, demonic presence acknowledges you. Okay. The demonic world is very real. Okay. And so with, with the demonic world, um, it can manifest itself in a number of different ways. Now, if you say, well, how does it manifest itself? Well, that's a very wide spectrum of ways to understanding. But if you look in the Bible, demons are in the Bible. There is no reason to believe demons have stopped operating. You look in the New Testament, you see the demons operating with mental illness, physical impairment. No reason to presume that demons decided that once Jesus left the earth, they were peacing out too. They still operate. Some of you will at times face dark, dark spaces of impressions or even dreams. 
Some of you will go through very dark moments. Tonight, I I will cover some of that, but for the most part, that will have a wide range of experiences and encounters. But the idea that I want to make sure we get out there is that no matter how deep the encounter is for one or another, we are all being deceived and we're being attacked. Satan has a playbook. His playbook are your weaknesses, your insecurities. He wants to trounce upon those. And tonight we're going to make sure that we are understanding how to fight. Amen? We're going to learn how to fight. You. All right. Ephesians 6, verse 12. Let's read this together. For our struggle is not against flesh and Okay, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, some of you have read the King James or you know other versions. How many of you know it's not always struggle? It's what? Our wrestle. Our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. If you only understand the world with your senses, you only understand a part of the world. Understanding the world with what you see or hear or taste and touch, that's the physical side of this world. But he is saying that there is a spiritual side to this world and that physical side is not how we fix, or the the physical dynamic that we, we see is not the main problem. He says, it's not flesh and blood. Rather, he's saying it's spiritual. That right there can help a good portion of what you deal with on a daily basis if you realize that the physical things you go through are actually spiritual. Because you would not use physical to fix physical. You'd use spiritual to fix physical. So that the problems you face are not just personal, they're spiritual. (laughs) The people you're frustrated with, there's a spiritual dynamic behind it all. Uh, Amen, amen. Anybody uh, grow up, watch, watch wrestling? Anybody grow up, watch wrestling? Yeah. Now, see, I, I, don't, I, I, got, I got rebuked when I told you I didn't watch Marvel growing up. But uh, if, I, if I get any kudos, I did watch wrestling growing up. And, uh, you know, Hulk, Hulk Hogan, anybody was in the Hulk Hogan? Okay. Now, now I go back because I stopped, I stopped watching when I grew up. But not, that, not to say that that's, again, again, if you still watch it, no shade, I'm just saying. Jimmy Superfly Snooker, did anybody know that? Hacksaw Jim Duggan, anybody remember that? Okay. Junkyard Dog? Okay, I was, I was into Junkyard Dog. I loved Hulk Hogan because, you know, he would have this moment where they're like hitting him and hitting him and he'd be down and then he'd put his finger up. He'd be like, yeah, and they'd keep hitting him and be like, oh, and then he'd turn his shirt off and all this, you know, and I'd be like, oh, dad. And I remember, you know, I'd watch it every Saturday morning, and then there was like this cage match. And I was, I think, and I, I, I want to say, I want to say that uh, Hulk Hogan was fighting Mr. T, right? Now, I had seen Mr. T, I think, in, in like the movies, and so I was like, oh my gosh, Mr. T and Hulk Hogan are going to fight. It's amazing. In a cage match, blood everywhere. And I went to my dad, and I was like, yeah, so it's... It's pay-per-view. My dad was like, pay-per-view? You want to pay to watch them wrestle? I was like, yes. And then he told me those sacred words. You know it's not real, right? 
was like, yeah, that's not real. He was like, you ever see them on ESPN after a winning championship? I was like, no, I didn't. Listen, um, understand when he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In Greco-Roman wrestling, the goal of the wrestler, you won when you killed the other opponent. The goal wasn't to get their shoulders on the mat. The goal was to choke them out and kill them. You see, this word wrestle isn't Jimmy Superfly Snooker wrestling. This is real destruction that he's saying here. Part of our problem is we think that sin is entertaining when it's trying to kill us. It, what, it, what it's saying here is that there is not an entertainment factor, but rather a destructive element. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 eight, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion for anyone he can devour. Sin, the flesh, the devil, and demons want you to think that sin is playful. And that same play-like dynamic will lead you down a road of destruction. And before you know it, you won't want fellowship. You won't want the word. You won't want God's people. Because he wants you to not just uh, to operate with sin, but to desire sin more than God himself. So understand this. He says that your wrestle is not against flesh and blood. He says there's a war that you're in and you've got to operate in it as if it is an intense war. Then he's going to go into armor. Now armor, uh, understand, and I I didn't want to put a picture up there. I didn't want to get caught up in the imagery too much. He's just using this as an illustration, but the armor that he's talking about is there to protect you. So that means that you are being attacked. And the armor that he goes over are different parts of the body that a Roman soldier would have to deal with in an attack, in a war. In the same element, you will have to make sure that you are prepared for a war. Armored up because you will be attacked. Ephesians 6.12, he says that there are rulers and authorities and cosmic powers of this darkness against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So it tells us that evil is not random, but rather strategic. That evil is structured. That there is a way in which The evil force behind this world has a plan, and it is organized. Now, we understand that there are archangels and cherubim and seraphim in the Bible, that there is an angelic structure, and we said last week that demons are nothing but fallen angels, so that if there is an angelic structure, there's also a demonic structure. We're not able to tell the names of all these different demonic structures, but we know that there is a structure. Demons, therefore, will, if there is a structure, they will differ both in degree and depth of wickedness. And we must begin, therefore, to understand that the darker the elements are, the stronger most likely they are, the more manipulative most likely they are. And so when you operate with deep structures, you will deal with deep darkness. 
Oftentimes there is talk of territorial spirits, territorial demons. This comes out of Daniel chapter 10, verse 13. We won't go there now, but it talks about uh, the, the, the prince uh, of the kingdom of Persia and how there was opposition there, basically saying that there was a, an area by which uh, one was not able to operate because of a demonic force and presence. It's not very clear how much there are territorial spirits, i.e. that there are uh, spirits that just cover a nation or a region. What is clear is that there are, and, and just to go back to that, it's because Jesus never rebukes a territorial spirit. Jesus doesn't rebuke the spirit of Nazareth, you see. He doesn't rebuke the spirit of any town. But what is clear is that demons are not just trying to work after one individual. They're trying to work after industries. They're trying to go after whole structures. Therefore, the demonic, a demonic force, presence, and attack can go after one person, and that one person can influence others. Therefore, a region and territory can be sacked or taken over by demons, but it's not because demons are like looking on the map, like, like coming to America, like, I want to go to Queens. Like, it's not like they just say, I want to go to an area. No, they want to go to where people are weak. And then they want to find people who are weak in what they believe, but can influence other people. And so that's how they begin to operate. So they have thought patterns. And these thought patterns look for thought leaders. And these thought leaders begin to have influence. And these influences territorially can operate, therefore, then we have to understand if, demonic, if the demonic realm operates in industries, then we've got to be careful about the industries that we go into. You know, because there's whole, there, we have a music industry, we have a fashion industry. You know, there are genres that, that all, and all these elements can have the demonic world operating in it. We, we have to understand that the, the Bible says, in, and this is a very, very important verse to understand. First, Tim, First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, now the Spirit explicitly, I love, you know, he's like, I'm just trying to tell y'all, I'm clear about this. The Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. So what he is saying there, and other versions will say the doctrine of demons. So it, what it is saying there is that de the demonic world wants to, again, find a, a, create a thought pattern that is going to be communicated by a thought leader, and then that thought leader will influence other people so much so that they take over an entire industry. But, it, but, but behind it all is a demonic teacher. Now, again, we talked about in 2 Corinthians that Satan comes as an angel of light, so most likely that teaching will sound good and sound good to you. It will resonate. It will spread. Everyone will say it. And so there, there is these deep demonic forces at work. And I, and I was going to take time to, you know, you could, you could talk about, uh, some would say that Hitler, behind Hitler was a demonic force and behind all, uh, behind all types of deep oppression. That's true. I believe that fundamentally. But I believe that in our day right now, when I think about our church, our community, where do I think about us being influenced? You know, I was going to talk about some of the um, false teachings out there, like Hebrew Israelites or Nation of Islam and things of that nature. But as I thought about it, you know what I think influences our church more than anything else? I find that we attract a crowd of people that 
have been frustrated with the church. Most likely, if they didn't grow up in the church, they grew up around the church. And a lot of times people are coming to church not because they want Jesus, but because they want inspiration. And I believe that one of the most dynamic, demonic teachings of the devil is to inspire you. Because Satan is inspirational. He's inspirational. He want, because, because for a lot of people, they're not worshiping the God they're passionate about. They're worshiping the God of their passions. What, what it is, is is that you want, you want God to be the battery pack of your dream, right? You just want that to, you want something to, to, to come in and, and make it happen. So you, you'll take Jesus. You're like, oh man, Jesus. Yes, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do me some Jesus. I'm going to come in. And, oh yes. Oh yes. Oh God, you're the way. You are the way. You are the way. You are the way. You are the way. And then when he doesn't come through, what is it? He's in the way, right? And it's, and it's because you, what happened was you didn't want Jesus the Lord. You wanted Jesus, the one that would lend you that great dream, that great goal. And you want your passion more than being passionate about him. And, 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 that, and, and, that's, and that's the world. We live in, this, we live in a, a city that's so synchronistic. Because if you say, I love Jesus, people are like, yo, that's so dope. That's so dope. I love Jesus too. And Jesus, Jesus, you know what I'm saying? I love, I love you know, sometimes you know, when I'm sipping on some Henny, I'm just sitting there, and I'll just be thinking about good old Jesus, right? And then it'll be like, it'll be like this real synchronistic idea. And, and one of the things that I find people all the time, like when I go different places, is like we'll be talking, and all of a sudden we'll start talking about energy, you know? And do you know what I'm talking about? And... and and, and, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to diss. I'm just saying, like, a lot of times people will be like, yo, this is good energy. And so sometimes they're looking for, again, they're looking for a feeling. They're like, yo, this is good energy. Jesus is not energy. I don't know another way to put that. Now, Jesus is very energizing, makes you feel real good, all that. But Jesus is not energy. Jesus is a person, and he is Lord. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is an, he is an actual, listen, listen, listen. He is an actual person. He is not an idea. He, he rose from the dead. He was crucified on a cross, and three days later, he rose from the dead. He was seen by over 500, and he walked around for 40 days, and he left teachings on this earth. Now, people now follow, and if you follow the teachings and not follow, the, follow Jesus, you're most likely following the devil. And, 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 and uh, for a lot of us, we're trying to just follow what feels good, but Jesus don't always feel good. You see, one of the things that I, I find very challenging, very challenging, you know, sometimes we'll get people and they'll be like, you know, I got church hurt. I'm like, well, tell me about it. Like, well, you know, I, was, I said this and they'll tell me what they said and they told me that was wrong. And I'm like, uh, and so tell me about the church hurt part. 
And they'll be like, yo, it hurt. <laughs> and you know, I want to be graceful and kind, but some of us don't have church hurt. You have Jesus hurt, right? Jesus said something that hurt you, and he hurt you because he loved you, because he was trying to direct you away from foolishness. And so this is, this is what I want to encourage you to This is what I, you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. I want to follow Jesus the Lord, not Jesus the inspirational, motivational, because you can trade Jesus for Tony Robbins, or you could trade Jesus for somebody else, but Jesus doesn't want to be traded. Jesus wants to be Lord, and he wants to be central to your life, and anything else will sound good, but, you know, as my mama would say, but can't nobody do me like Jesus now. Now, because, because Jesus... Although he's not energy, he does offer a peace no one, can, no one can match. He can give you a settled soul like no one else can. So you've got to make a decision today to, to, to turn away from idols and to turn away from everything else that's just making you feel good temporarily and rather see him as Lord. Uh, about 20% of that was for free. Uh, but... Um, so, I was going to say something else. Okay, I'm going to say, I'm going to say this. Because, because, because when, you, when you fall into... Because what I, what I believe is the real heresy of our day is just pragmatism. It's just practical. Whatever's going to get you to your goal. So, you'll, so somebody will say, oh, don't worry. Or you'll hear good thoughts about worrying. You know, like how not to worry. Or you'll hear good teachings. But that's... A lot of that is willpower. A lot of the teachings that we hear are just willpower. You know, just don't, don't, you know, don't worry about it. Don't just work your way through it and just don't think about it. You know, just go get a drink. Go get it. You know, just hang out. You know, you, you can hear so many different ways to deal with problems in your life. But hearing Jesus say, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather in barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than that? That's very different than just good old practical sayings. So, so you've, you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision about what will inspire you and, and what is actually, if, if Jesus is actually going to be Lord of your life. So, so this leads, so again, there are doctrines of demons and there, there are all that. And I can't review everything I just said. But the reason why that is important is because the first thing that Paul says in regards to armor is truth. Remember, father of lies, oh, truth. And he says in Ephesians 6, verse 14, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Truth. The belt of truth comes from the idea that there were these long robes or tunics that if you were to look in 1 Peter, it talks about girding up your loins. But basically, it's this idea of taking your robe and putting it in your belt so that you could have action. But your belt not only made sure your robe didn't get in the way, but it also held all the armor together. So when you think of the belt of truth, the idea that Paul is creating is that this is the component, this is the piece, this is the, the truth that will hold everything together. And it is you now operating in what is true. Having this belt of truth. 
And what we should be very careful of then in understanding what he means by that is that many times growing up, being in the city and living our lives, we get lies lodged in our belief system. Wouldn't it be a shame if you believed something for so long and it was really a lie? It wasn't true. Paul in chapter 4, verse 8 of Philippians says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. He says, what's honest, what's just, what's pure, what's lovely, what's of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. That's such a crazy thing. He says, try this. Think about only things that are true. And he is saying, therefore, that many times our mind is filled with lies. Some of you in here tonight were told lies about yourself when you were very young. There are things that you believe about yourself and you are limping through life because you heard a good lie. The way that you see yourself, your body, the way you feel about yourself. There are lies that were told about you. There are situations that you were in that left an impression on you. Some of you were dealt with physically in certain ways, sexually in certain ways, that left an impression on you, that gave you a sense of your worth and your value. And they are nothing more than lies. Lies that are lodged in your belief system. Lies that have become comfortable to you and real to you. There are lies that we ruminate over, we meditate on, we think about over and over and over and over again. There are lies that we believe about other people. Church, let me say this. Much of my time in mediation and reconciliation has been helping two people discover an assumption or a prediction that wasn't true in the first place. Okay, I'm going to say that one more time so you really understand what I'm saying. Many times, I'll have two people that have a problem with one another, and when you get them to sit down, you come to realize one person had an assumption about another person, but they weren't sure it was true. And it crushed their relationship because it was a well-confounded lie. If Paul is saying that we have to have this armor of truth on as the first armor, then you have to make sure that what you think about, what you say, and what you meditate on is in reality and is true. And you've always got to ask yourself, is this true? Is this real? Because he tells good lies. You listen, your, your insecurities are his playbook. So, so if, if that is the case, you've got to start asking yourself, how did I come to this conclusion with this information? You, you will do yourself a favor if you begin to now attack some of your thought process. 
Begin to write down, okay, now why do I think that? And why did that? Oh, and you know what? I heard that and I saw that, but how do I know that's really true? How did I come to that conclusion? Lawyer up, lawyer yourself, challenge your mental thought process. Because some of us are limping through life with lies, lodged in our belief system. I want to, um, we have time left, but I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray for you right now, and I want you to pray with me, okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, there are, there are people right now that are feeling heavy burden because someone told them something about themselves when they were very young, and they are they, they have been depressed, and they have been hurt, and they have put themselves out there, but it was nothing more than a well-constructed lie. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of the living God would cause our people to challenge the assumptions and the predictions they've made in their mind. I pray that they would challenge their past, and I pray that we would rebuke the evil one that does these great-sounding lies so that we can live the life, because you call us to an abundant life, Jesus. You call us to a life that's overflowing, God. We are not called to live a life limping around, feeling half full. You call us to a full life, Jesus. So I pray in the name of Jesus that you would let us live lives of an abundant life that's filled with your truth. Fill our minds with your truth so that we can detect the lies in our mind, God. Fill our minds with your truth so we can detect the lies in our lives, God. Fill our minds with your truth so we can detect the lies in our life. In Jesus' name. So, so how, do you, how do you discern truth? How do you discern what is true? Psychologists will tell you truth is what you feel. Okay, truth is, is whatever you feel, whatever you feel it to be. And as you hustle, because New York is the hustle capital, as you hustle through life, truth may end up being whatever you need it to be. That you'll manipulate reality in order to get to where you need to go. But truth is a fixed object, a fixed standard. And it causes us to conform to it. We don't conform truth around our lives. We conform to the truth. And we are going to get deeper into this when we talk about the sword of the spirit, but you have to come to a place in your life where you'd see the word of God as what is true and what Jesus says is true and not just what you feel or not what you need truth to be. Now, tonight we live in a world where I used to give this analogy 20 years ago, and it, and it made sense, but now we have iPhones. Like, you remember when we used to watch? Anybody have a watch? Anybody have a watch? All five of you? Praise God for all of you with watches. I used to give this analogy, and it made so much sense, but now it doesn't make as much sense. But y'all going to make it make sense with me today. Amen? Amen? In London, there used to be a time when people didn't have iPhones. And they'd have their, uh, their watches. And sometimes your watch would get off. So you know what they would do? They'd look up because Big Ben was in the middle of the city. And it would look. And if it said 605, 
they would look and check with Big Ben to make sure what they had on them correlated with what was on Big Ben. They adjusted their life to the time because they wanted to live in reality. And, and, and so what, what was true was they believed truth was outside of me, so I have to look to something higher than myself. Even with airplanes and control towers, that person may believe when they're flying a plane that they are right on course, but they have a control tower, someone outside of them that sees them to tell them you're right on course. Truth is outside of you. And if you understand that, then you will understand the need to search for the one that is true. And then you will use his word to dissect lies that may be in your life. As I said, there are lies that you may believe about yourself and that leads to the righteousness that is like armor on your chest. This armor on your chest, it is this incredible picture of being protected in your most vital organs. It was not just protecting your chest, it would protect your whole body, your stomach, even, even down to your lower region. And it was protecting you because if you got stabbed there, it was, it was just easy to destroy your life. Underneath this breastplate is your heart and your lungs. So if you did not wear your breastplate, you were very vulnerable. And so this causes us to think about, man, Satan wants to attack truth, and he wants to attack the way that I understand righteousness. When we use the word righteous, we tend to see righteousness or one that is righteous as behavior. And that behavior is an accepted standard of morality or justice or virtue. But when we use the word righteous in our culture today, we generally use it as someone in a negative phrase because that person may see themselves as self-righteous. They think higher of themselves than they ought to think. And when someone is self-righteous, they are condescending and they are rigid. But the word righteous has a lot of different renderings in the New Testament, but one of the ways that it literally means, it, it means to pass inspection or to be able to gain approval, to be acceptable, to be in right standing after being over seen or inspected. And so it means you want to look good for somebody, that there's someone's eyes that you see. For those in you in the dating scene, amen? You get that certain outfit. And you make sure that you cover your flaws and you get that, that right outfit. Now, some of you were not gifted with the ability to choose clothes very well, praise God. It's okay. Pinterest exists. Friends exist. But, but some of you, listen, some of you, some of you didn't, do not naturally trust your own eyes to dress yourself. So you said, I need someone to help dress me. When, when, when you go out on a date, you have someone cover you to dress you, either yourself or someone else. But then when you, when you go out on a date, a lot of times you're not trying to just cover up the way you look, but you're also, you know, 
trying to cover up flaws too. You know, when you go out, if you talk too much, you're trying to check yourself. You're like, you know, blah, 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 blah. Oh, hold on, hold on, let me chill, let me chill. <laughs> or if you, if you talk too little, you're like, okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh. Yes, you know, and you try to... <laughs> because you want to look good to their eyes. Righteousness is about looking good to someone's eyes. And, and the nature of that is wanting to look presentable to someone, presentable for someone. That is the heartbeat of what righteousness, the imagery of that righteousness brings about. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, in, in verse 7, it says, the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together. And what happens in the Bible, it says that we sinned and we became self Conscious, We became aware of ourselves, our nakedness, our flaws. And so what it says is we tried to cover ourselves. And in covering ourselves, we tried to hide those vulnerable parts of ourselves so that the other person did not see our weaker parts. And thanks be to Christ Jesus that Christ loved us enough to cover us. But see, that is the proclivity of the human heart. We are flawed and we know it and the enemy knows it too. And he knows that we want to cover ourselves up and we want to cover ourselves up with self-righteousness. So some of you all, yes, I thank you so much for coming here today. Thank you for serving back there on all the teams that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you for going to City Group. Thank you for being up here singing. Thank you for all you do. But some of you are doing that because you are trying to have a righteousness to seem approved by God. And God does not want you to dress yourself in righteousness. And so that's what we do. You know, you put on your little, your righteous boots. You, know, you, you put on your Bible study boots. You're like, yeah, I'm going to go, you know. And you got, you got your little, you know what I'm saying, like I'm faithful. I sing on the worship team, so, you know, I'm fly. And you put on, you know, you put on your little prayer sweater. You're like, yeah, you know what I'm saying. I, I, I do all this. And let me tell you. When you try to have a righteousness that's approved by God, that is not God's plan. That is the plan of the enemy to get you to try to prove yourself to God. Every other religion is trying to attempt to get you to have a righteousness to impress God so that you would dress yourself in righteousness. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 21, that when he booted them out of the garden, the Lord God made clothing from skins from, for, for the man and his wife. And he clothed, that means that he slayed an animal and he took the skin and he covered them. And that is a picture of what he did with Jesus because he destroyed his own son and he took the righteousness of Christ and he covered us so that we do not have to find ourselves dressing ourselves in any other kind of righteousness, but we are covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But what I'm trying to tell you is that that is a trick of the enemy to try to make you feel righteous in your own eyes, to try to get you to dress in your own righteousness. God is pleased in you because he's pleased with Jesus. He's not pleased in you because of your morality. He's pleased with you 
because of Jesus. Because Jesus covers us. My middle daughter, she's creative. So sometimes she'll put on some like boots with a dress and a, you know, a hair bow and she'll have on like a striped shirt and she'll like put on gloves and stuff. It's the summer. She'll look crazy, right? And she'll be like, and she'll, you know, she'll come to the, she'll be at, listen, she's not, she's at the door like, what, right? (laughs) My wife is like, stop, go in there. And she was like, well, no, 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 I, I, let me pick out all your clothes. And my wife will pick out an outfit and she'll clothe her and she'll be like, I don't like it. She says, but I do. And that's what matters. My eyes matter. And what I'm trying to tell you is clothing yourself in your own righteousness, your own morality is a trick of the enemy. So stop letting Satan be your stylist and start letting Jesus dress you. Let him dress you. Let him dress you. Don't don't try to When you pray, know that it's only Jesus that gives you the insight to pray. When you come to church, it's only by the grace of God we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And it is a trick of the enemy to believe anything else. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you, God, that you clothe us in your righteousness. We know that the enemy would have it that we would find our righteousness and the good things we do. Find our righteousness in the good things we say. Find our righteousness there. But God, we find it in you and you alone. And it is in you that we find truth and truth alone. In the name of Jesus, God, we ask tonight that we would seek you above all else. In Christ's name, amen. Tonight, we are gonna have a time of communion, a time to go to the back and be prayed over. But I wanna go back to just reminding you Satan is a liar. Oh man, Satan is a liar. Satan has destroyed relationships in my life. Satan has destroyed relationships in my family. Satan has people walking around mad at one another and he knows that they're both believing a lie. Tonight, decide to live in the truth. Some of you are disappointed because you think God is disappointed in you. He was never impressed with you, so he's not disappointed in you. He was always impressed with Jesus. He was always impressed with Jesus. He was never impressed with you. And you are sad, mad, and you are finding yourself limping with your walk with God because you don't think you're impressive anymore. You never were. Jesus is impressive. Some of you tonight, you are, you are synchronistic. You are filling your mind with all different. You take a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Allah, and I'm telling you, it's a lot of a lie. It's a whole lie. And tonight, Jesus doesn't want to be on the side. He wants to be the one. I wonder if you'd stand with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we would have time to go to the back, that we'd be prayed over. I pray that we would come to the front. We would experience communion with you, life with you, love with you. God, would we get closer to you, God? Closer to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Up here, we have our communion. Please come. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. 
you can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.